0: Hi, you're listening to Alchemy, a podcast where I meet with New Zealand creatives to learn how they combine design, tech, and business to create exceptional products and user experiences. I'm Philip Fehrlinger. I was a co-founder of Zero, where I was head of design for nearly 10 years. These days, I'm an investor and advisor to various startups. This podcast is made in collaboration with the College of Creative Arts at Massey University, where I'm an adjunct professor. We're doing this podcast first and foremost to help design students get familiar with the people shaping our industry. And today, we're talking with Charlie Prangley, who was a student herself not that long ago, a Massey grad, in fact. Yet these days, she's certainly shaping our industry in a variety of really interesting and really cool ways. Charlie's day job is doing design and development for a fast-growing startup called ConvertKit. The company is 100% remote, meaning they have no offices. Their entire staff are scattered across far-reaching locations all over the world. They're leaders in a growing trend that's reshaping our industry around remote businesses. But that doesn't even scratch the surface of what Charlie's influence is. On top of her day job, she also has a popular podcast called Design Life. And as if that wasn't enough, she also has a YouTube channel with over 100,000 subscribers. The podcast, Design Life, is brilliant, and I highly recommend you give it a listen. She co hosts the show with Femke van Schoenhoven, a product designer at Uber, and another Massey grad. Their show covers everything you ever needed to know about design and working as a professional designer. There's well over a hundred episodes, and here are just a few of the topics they cover the roller coaster of the creative process, salaries and bonuses, product launches and failures, advice for applying for design jobs. The role of a side project in your career. The list goes on and on, they literally cover everything you could possibly want to know, and every episode is entertaining and full of great insights. Charlie's YouTube channel also covers design topics, but it's more like mini case studies on tools and techniques, and obviously with video she can show you how she works. Between the podcast and the YouTube channel, Charlie provides quite a comprehensive design education. In fact, as Charlie explains in our conversation, she's often asked, why bother going to design school? Why not just do it online? But I'll let her answer that. We also talk about the major lessons she's learned in design schools. We then talk about her major lessons from her first job and over her career so far. And with that, here's my full conversation with Charlie. So what are you working on at the moment?
1: At the moment, I'm working on... um, we're getting into doing a lot of testing at ConvertKit, like being more data driven and um, yeah, more yeah thinking about data in our design decisions and also just in what projects we work on as well. So I've been working on a couple of new homepage designs, testing some different ideas and really like, yeah, challenging myself to, to think outside the box a little bit because I think you can get into a bit of a formula with designing tech landing pages, you know, the They can Mm. end up looking the same after a while if you're not careful. So that's been really fun. Um, And to know that we're going to be testing them, doing an ABC test. So these two new designs I've made against our current homepage and going to be able to learn from the results of them too. That's yeah, pretty exciting to think about.
0: And have you done much testing to date?
1: We've done little bits. So the, most of the testing we've done has been like, oh, if we add a scroll percentage bar to the bottom of our blog, will that make people keep reading more? Or if we change our button colors to green, will this make you know, our conversion rate more? Um, so it's been yeah, mostly those sort of small tests.
0: Do you find that, that the, you, you can rely on the data and the results that, that there's no huge questions about?
1: I'm always very careful about relying too much on data. Um, mm. I think I'm always that annoying voice in the company who's like, what about the qualitative um, when we're talking about, you know, the raw numbers? Because mm. especially in the company I work for, so ConvertKit, our audience is creators, online creators, people that have blogs, vlogs, podcasts, you know, and I'm like, that's me. I, I fit into our audience. And so I do think that our gut feelings, because a lot of the people on the team are also creators, I do think our gut feelings um, matter and they, you know, should have a a voice in the the decision. We shouldn't just rely on the numbers. Mm. Um, And the reason I say something like this is because if you go by the numbers, um, pop-ups when you visit a website – that cover the whole screen and don't let you close them until you sign up. They increase conversion rate, right? Mm. But that's not a good brand experience. um, And that's not something that I want ConvertKit to be known for. So that would be something that I wouldn't do. So, yeah, the data is there to inform, I would say. And we always make sure that it's the right fit for the brand and for our audience as well.
0: Right. Cool. And so obviously you're working on other things. (laughs)
1: Yeah, <laughs> outside
0: of work, yeah, so you So you're doing your podcast, you're doing your YouTube channel. Yep. Um, and so you've got all that stuff on the boil. But I actually wanted to go back to your early days, um, and so you studied at Massey, right?
1: I did. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so when exactly was that, and what did you study?
1: Uh, I think I graduated 2011. I think, if I'm thinking mm. back then, um, and I studied the visual communication design degree um well bachelor of design majoring in visual communication with a focus on graphic design so when I first left Massey I was in the print world um I was yeah designing brochures and flyers and pamphlets and stuff and then you gave me my first web design <laughs> job
0: <laughs> yeah that was very exciting <laughs> and and look where you've gone with it
1: yeah look where I've gone with it <laughs>
0: what, what were some of the big lessons that you got from design school in general
1: Honestly, um, because I have this YouTube channel about design, right, where I talk about design and my audience is mainly people who are getting into the profession or who have dabbled a bit or, like, you know, just starting out, basically. People always ask me, like, why go to design school and, like, not just teach yourself? And honestly, for me, it was the design thinking, and I think Massey was really good at this. The process and the thinking, it's not so much about teaching you how to use Photoshop, teaching you how to use InDesign. I don't think that's a valuable use of the school's time really like that's easy to learn by yourself mm. but yeah learning about the design process and learning how to think like a designer is by far the most valuable thing i got from design school um and for me as a like i'm the overachiever type of personality and so i'd come through high school like always getting good grades and like you know trying to do the right get the right answer and in design there's not often a clear, like, right answer. Like, you mm-hmm. can give one brief to 20 students and everyone's going to come up with a different idea. And so something that was really valuable for me to learn was to not just create work that the teacher would like and would, like, give a good mark to, but create work that was going to answer the brief and also, like, be fun for me as well and, and stretch my skills. That was some really important lessons that I learned in design school. Yeah, that's
0: sure. huge. Making, yeah. Making, it, t- making it your own and making, finding a way to have fun with it
1: And I think it took me a while to learn that, to be honest, Um, to break away from that wanting to be right. I can definitely look back on my first year where we we used to do this thing called Creative Studio. I don't think that's the thing in first year anymore. I think it changed while I was there. But yeah, I spent that whole time just feeling so out of my depth and confused because I was trying to get it right. And the teachers were just encouraging me to explore, basically. And I, yeah, didn't get it for a while.
0: (laughs) Right. And so... When you were in school, did you start getting a sense of, you know, career plans and ambitions? Did you have any sense of what you wanted to do once you left school?
1: Kind of. So, like I said before, when I started Massey, I thought I wanted advertising to be my major. Mm. And my, my dream was to work for, like, Saatchi and Saatchi at a big ad agency, which, um, if you know me now, as you do, that would not suit me at all. <laughs> um so that, when, especially when I found out that maybe advertising wasn't right for me from taking that paper, I was like, well, oh no, what am I going to do now? You know, um, I think that um, there was a lot of focus on working in studios and agencies, like the tech scene wasn't really talked about when I was mm. uh, in school, that was still like coming up and especially wasn't super like evolved in New Zealand yet, yeah. um, so Yeah. I assumed that I would end up working at a studio or an agency. And so far in my career, I have not worked at a studio or an agency. I went straight into an in-house job. So I was the designer on a marketing team and that's what I've done ever since. I just really love being in-house and like feeling a connection to a brand. And yeah, it's turned out to suit me perfectly.
0: And did you find like other friends, you know, found themselves in similar situations?
1: I think a lot of people that I went to university with are now in agencies. Like, they did follow that path. Oh, right. Okay. Um, right. Yeah, to be honest, um, a lot of them. Or they're doing freelance. Yeah.
0: Right. All right. So you're the exception to the rule, perhaps.
1: Well, I, I'm sure there was some, a few others right. <laughs> in my yeah. year who also did that. But, yeah, agency, I think, is still pretty popular as a thing to to shoot for.
0: Well, actually, agencies are kind of dying. Oh, you yeah? Know, they're, they're, they're really struggling, yeah. Hmm. There's not as many... In New Zealand, certainly, as there were, and they they're not pulling down the same levels yeah. of money and, and projects scale of projects anymore because a lot of a lot of work has actually gone in-house
1: yeah, there a you lot go. of
0: companies have built up their own teams, design teams so that that first job, how did you had that happen?
1: So I think there was if I remember correctly, there was like a forum where jobs would be posted for students and like they would get emailed out to the list. Um, and this job popped up on it and what they were asking for was about 30 hours a week. So that's more than a regular like student could really take on, especially cause this was in my last year that, so, you know, doing major project. Um, but the thing was that I took a break from my degree after the second year, I took a semester off. And so mm. I was kind of doing, like my degree spread out over the next few years. So it took me five years instead of four to get it finished, um, because of that semester off. So in my last semester at university, I was just doing major project, just that one paper, one class, one project. So I felt like, okay, this is a graphic design job, like a real, real life design job, um, where I'd be doing design full time. Maybe I should try it and just see if I can handle it. And I can always like leave if I find it's too much work. Um, because before then, the first time someone paid me to do design was I worked in this baby shop, like mm-hmm. a retail store. And their web guy left and they needed someone to, like, make some JPEGs to send out in an email. And so I was like, oh, I'm in design school. I could do this. Right. Um, and so I ended up doing that design work for the same rate as my shop assistant work so (laughs) I definitely undervalued myself like I just added the design time to my timesheet you know right but hey it was exciting to be paid um
0: exactly foot in the door exactly
1: and it gave me some experience which I think helped me get the next job because they knew that I'd done work actually for you know a company before um so yeah I applied for this job it was at Mitsubishi Electric so they're like a a retailer oh like a supplier that's the word Mm. for Mitsubishi Electric products in New Zealand yeah, I went out for the interview and I think I landed it, like, I tell myself that I landed it because I was the only one who applied who had the time, but I'm sure they thought that I was good enough, you know, otherwise they wouldn't have hired me. <laughs>
0: right. So, so you, you know, the first job you applied for, you landed.
1: Yeah, I did.
0: And, um, and <laughs> was that something that, you know, where you were thrilled about and that you, was it kind of a dream job or was it really just, Hey, this is a job this, that looks and seems interesting and I'll get some experience.
1: Yeah. Well, I wouldn't say it was a dream job, but I felt as excited about it as if it was a dream job because I was just so thrilled to have landed like a job as a designer with designer as my title. I still remember how amazing that felt to Mm. be like, oh no, this is real now. Like I've put in all these years of work and now someone's paying me for it and this is what I get to do all day. What? Sometimes I still feel like that. I'm like, I just get to design all day. How how'd this happen? Mm. But yeah. um, And so so I worked there like... Yeah, for sure. Three days a week it was when I was in my last semester. And then when I finished school, I think it was in the November or whatever, after the project was handed in, they offered me a full-time job, which was really exciting. So I felt so grateful that I was ending university with a full-time job to walk into. Um, So I I knew that a lot of my peers didn't have that and were really stressed about it. So yeah, I was really glad that I had the time to put into working part-time before it.
0: Yeah. That's, that's a really interesting way to go about it. And so I wanted to know, did you, do you feel like that taking that time off was a good thing and that you might even recommend that to other people? Or was that just, you, you know, that that was your circumstance and it worked for you, but you wouldn't necessarily recommend it. How do you feel about that?
1: I, I think I felt a lot of like shame at having to take time off for a while because I just like, like I said, I was an overachiever in high school. I got like second runner up to the ducks. So I was like, you know, trying really hard with the grades. Um, And then I was doing the same in university. I don't think I got anything below an A minus in my second year. Like that second year when I found graphic design, I was really pushing myself. And I think I just pushed myself too hard and got a bit burnt out. And so I took six months off to go traveling because I didn't do that in between high school and university like a lot of people do. Um, So I'm really glad that I did that. Uh, I was frustrated and, like I said, a little bit of shame for a while that it meant I was taking longer in my degree than other people. So, like, the people I started my design degree with had finished and I was still there doing major projects, you know. So, that felt a little yep. bit bad to start with. But, I mean, it's all worked out great. So, I think that my advice there would be to listen to yourself and if you feel like you need time off, then do it. Like, there's no no harm in that, and you're not going to like ruin your career just because you took an, a year extra longer to do your degree. Yeah,
0: yeah it, wor- it worked out in your favor.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure it did. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, it made me a more chilled-out person in general and, like, uh, like I said, like stopped me thinking that I had to get the right answer and I was able to just feel a bit more free with it. So, yeah, do what you need to do to, to get in the right headspace.
0: Yeah, cool. And do you, do you, ha- do you think you have any other advice that, um, for students – currently at uni studying design.
1: I think get to the root of the problem in the brief. Again, this goes back to me, like trying to get the right answer and thinking, thinking too far ahead about what the outcome should be and what, what the outcome was going to get me the right mark. Um, think more about the problem and truly just trying to solve it and like never go with your first idea either like push yourself to try and come up with more even though it feels like you might not have time to explore these different directions, just doing a bit of quick, like brainstorming, rapid iteration can really help you come up with better ideas, I think.
0: Yeah, that's awesome advice. And what what about, you know, you talk about the client brief, but did you ever actually talk to, you know, do market research, user research and, and talk to people that, so rather than following, just following a brief based on your instincts, actually talking to people that would be impacted by your work?
1: At at university, do you mean?
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: I never did, I don't think. And I wish that I had. Like, Mm. I learned a lot in university, obviously, but I learned a lot outside of university as well. And sometimes I think about, like, my student projects, and I'm like, oh, I wish I could go back and, like, do this better. And, like, I would do this and this. Uh, I did, the only time I really did a lot of user research and, like, talking to people, doing interviews was during my major project. Mm. Um, which I did a thing about digital citizenship. So like what it means to like be a citizen of the internet. That was definitely one of my favorite projects. I don't know why I mentioned, didn't mention that before, but yeah, that was the first time that I really dived into doing that sort of thing. And that was in my last project. So, you know, took me a while to get there. So learn from my mistake and do it sooner.
0: <laughs> yeah. But still keep, you know, keep the last, best for last. And also you, you're building up, you know, you're, yeah. you're kind of, it is the culmination of all your study and exploration and all that.
1: Yeah. Actually, that makes me think that another thing is don't worry if every single project you create isn't your favorite. Like I was so worried the whole time about my portfolio, which I think it's good to think about, but not everything you do has to, or even should go in your portfolio. So Mm. if you do one project and you're like, oh, I just don't feel like this is a good representation of my work, but it's two days from due date. I can't change anything now. Um, that's okay. there'll be other projects that come along, and you don't have to like absolutely ace every single one of them
0: yeah, and i th- I think for me, w- when I was in design school the the thing that I loved most was, and i somehow I really understood this, even though I didn't have professional experience, but I understood this is the a rare opportunity to have this complete freedom, yeah um, and I don't have people telling me dictating how to do things. And to really take advantage of that and to really stretch myself and explore and really take risks. Um, and I think that that's something I think also a lot of students, you know, don't necessarily they, again, that f- wanting to get it right and wanting to yep. get the grade rather than, hey, taking this opportunity to really um, discover where the boundaries are and how far you can push things.
1: Totally. And school, I definitely school is a great
0: that. place to do that.
1: Yeah, it's the perfect place to do that because... A client isn't going to want to pay you for like a week of like (laughs) experimentation a lot of the time. That was something I learned as well, like coming into the real world from design school is like, oh, you mean I don't have four weeks to design this poster? (laughs) Like I've Mm -hmm. got to do it in two days. (laughs) So make use of that time that you get, like you do get a lot of time per project.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it is, you know, and that's the thing I, I think I did. The mistake I did in school was that I rather than exploring lots of ideas, I would explore an idea really in depth. Mm-hmm. And I do wish that I'd spend a bit more time exploring a broader range of ideas. Yeah. Live and learn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so when, when you went to Mitsubishi, did you, were you um, doing print design, graphic design, or were yeah. you actually doing digital web and interactive
1: um, a little bit, I suppose, in that we would do these Facebook apps because that was a thing back in hmm. back in the day in 2011. Um, so I would be designing, yeah, little little pieces of interactive interactive design, but it definitely wasn't a focus. There was another designer on the team who was like the web designer, um, and then he actually left to go to zero as well. So then I followed him <laughs> like okay. a few months later. <laughs>
0: And so so what was that experience like for you, that first job?
1: I, I like I said, just found it so fun to be mm. designing for a living. And they trusted me with a lot of stuff. Like we would do these print runs of these brochures that would cost like thousands and thousands of dollars. And I know now that that's pretty standard and not that big a deal. But it felt huge to me when I was spending like a max of 100 printing a student project, you know, mm. to be trusted with, okay, this design has to be right because they're spending $10,000 on these brochures. So if I've made a typo or, like, you know, I can't change it later and get it reprinted. Um, so it felt pretty that's, cool to be that's trusted why with
0: that. I I hate print. Yes. Oh, one, one of the reasons, <laughs> one of the money. Um,
1: so I just recently, as an aside, went back to print in a way and we published a coffee table book at ConvertKit this year and I was in I charge don't. of the design and the like, and the printing of it, like coordinating that with the printer, mm. figuring out the paper, etc. And it was fun to dabble back into, but it reminded me why I moved to web design for sure. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. So that, yeah. So let's talk a bit about that, that transition, but also like, what would you say that you learned from that first job experience? Mm. What were some of the big things you learned?
1: I think I learned a lot about how the business and the marketing team as a whole functioned because I was used to in university, right, being around other designers all day. So people who spoke my language and, you know, understood what I was doing. Um, So now being in a space where, yeah, there was just two designers on the team and my manager wasn't a designer. She was a marketing manager, you know, managing the marketing team. And so, yeah, learning to communicate with other stakeholders and to talk about design and like, educate them on the design process and what I was doing was that was a good start of learning I don't know if I did a great job of it there but it for sure was that first wake up call that like oh the whole world isn't a designer you're going to be dealing with people who like don't understand why this version is better than this version and you have to explain it to them or like you know point things out
0: and do you think you have any advice for people that in that first job about um how to go about it or you know what what to take from it
1: It's hard for me to think back onto what I knew then, because, like, now I would say to um, educate them on your process, but I don't think I really Mm. had much of my own process back then, so that might be hard to do in your first job, but just, I, I guess, explain to them what you do, and if someone who's not a designer gives you a brief and... You like freak out about the short deadline they've given you. Explain to them why you don't like you're worried about that, or why you don't think that's possible. Especially in your first job, they're not expecting you to know everything already and be like rockstar designer. So it's okay to admit, I guess, when you don't think that that's right, um, and yeah, when you, when you need a l- little bit of extra time, and also guiding them on the best way to give feedback too. So if someone looks at a, a design of yours and says, "No, this isn't right." Don't just walk away and be like, oh, okay, I've got to start again. Like, Mm -hmm. that is a sign for you to dig deeper and like, okay, well, what about this header space? Like, what do you think is right about this? Or like, is this the bit that's bothering you? Um, And just try and dig deeper and ask follow-up questions. I think that's
0: really great advice because um, it is that you have to find out, you have to communicate with the client or whoever, you know, you're getting feedback, who's giving you direction, what it is, what their issue is. It's not just, it's wrong. Yeah. Um, you need to understand, pick it apart and understand explicitly what is wrong, what exactly is wrong and why, why is it wrong. Um, and really unpack the de- those details so that you can understand where they're coming from and what they're aiming for. Totally. Um, yeah, so such good advice, yeah.
1: I think that, cool. that it's easy to think that if someone says it's wrong that that means you've done a terrible job. And you're a bad designer as well um, and feel like you failed a bit. So just always remember that, yeah, that's not the case. You've just, like, approached the brief from an angle that they weren't expecting or something. And, yeah, you'll figure it out.
0: Yeah. And I think that's another piece of advice um, I I find myself giving these days to students and people just getting into the field is people want you to – they're on your side, they want yeah. you to do this well and they want you to do it right and they 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 they're expecting you to um do well and so i think a lot of people are nervous that they're not going to do well and that their boss is going to or somebody's going to you know come down hard on them and i think that you just have to remember that they they're on your side and they're trying to you know make it work and and they just you know you you need to work with them and collaborate with them to understand their needs a bit better totally hmm and so do you have any tips for um people looking for that first job, trying to land that first job.
1: I would say for the first job, don't like worry about it being your dream job. I I would say like mm. I I think you get a lot of advice to be picky and like you know wait for the right thing to come along, but I don't know if I agree with that. Because if I was writing a list of like my dream companies to work at, mitsubishi electric wouldn't have been on it to be honest because i didn't know it existed until i applied for the job (laughs) but it was a great place to learn there was a great team um like i said i got trusted with a lot of great projects it was probably a smaller company than i imagined myself working at but i saw the level of involvement i was able to have at that smaller company versus joining a huge team um you know where i wouldn't be trusted with as much stuff so stay open-minded i guess is the advice there
0: awesome Um, great advice
1: and when you're applying, uh, this is something I've seen as someone who's, like, you know, helping hire designers, like, be excited about that role in particular. Don't just say you're looking for any job in the industry. I think that's, <sighs> yeah. yeah, that's a surefire way to get your application put to the bottom of the pile. Yeah. That's for sure.
0: <laughs> and when you don't do your homework, so you don't even know the company, what they yes. do. Yes. Uh, you know, that's just, like, an immediate alarm. Like, yes. <laughs> no, thanks. <laughs> So one thing we didn't even mention, actually, um, in all these different career tentacles that you have is um, your fashion design work. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> oh, yeah, that.
1: That thing. Um,
0: so w- w- when did that happen and how did you get into that?
1: So that started when I was in university, actually, while I was at Massey. It was like mm. a little hobby that I was dabbling in to create these typographic layouts, Um And I would post them to Tumblr, which was the popular spot back then. And people really liked them. Like, they got a lot of interaction. And I I felt really excited that people were liking my work. And I kind of just asked, like, would anyone want this on a t-shirt? Like, if I printed these, would you buy one? And a lot of people said yes. So I took that as my market research. And I went and figured out how to print t-shirts. I found this little place in Wellington on Cuba Street where they would do, like, vinyl graphics on on t-shirts and met the guy and we came up with like a deal and then yeah started selling selling t-shirts and and selling designs and building up this little clothing brand
0: that's really cool and so so with all these things that you were working on do you feel like that you were taking on too much and that that it was really hard or that it was actually it seems like if you were taking that on then It was something that it was filling a need that you had and that that, uh, kind of an outlet, a creative outlet.
1: Yeah, I guess it did fill a need. Um, I kept trying to shoehorn music and lyrics into every single university brief I was doing (laughs) because that's what I loved. And I was just like, oh, how can I make this about music? So I think starting my clothing line, which was based on like music inspired graphics, like was an outlet for that and stopped me trying to put that into every university brief. Um, I definitely did a lot during my time at university and perhaps didn't participate in as many of like the social things as I could have if I hadn't had all these things going on. But I loved it. Like I was really enjoying myself and I've kind of slowed down on the clothing brand now, but it still existed for a long time and was making sales to all over the world, which was really exciting, like exciting yeah, thing to that have. Is. Yeah, that was and my so first I mean, experience of a side project as well. Exactly, so, I was going to say yeah.
0: I, I kind of perceive you as the queen of side projects, <laughs> and um, that that seemed to have sparked that, and yeah. really something that's persisted, and that. that so, w- what is it about side projects that you know motivates you, and that you why do you keep doing them and taking doing you know multiple side projects?
1: I think it is mostly to do with what you were saying before about filling a need. Um, mm there's, I think it helps me enjoy my job more when I'm not trying to get absolutely everything out of the work that I'm doing there. Um, So I have this desire for like teaching and creating that I don't really do at my job. And I would have to find a new, very specific role if that's something that I wanted to have, like as an all-in-one. So doing that on the side through my YouTube videos, through the podcast has helped to fill that need. And yeah, make me more content in my job because I'm getting what I need from there in the terms of the design and like, you know, diving deep, making smart design decisions and all of that. And then on the side, I'm doing more of the teaching and creative stuff. And so, yeah, figuring out what you need and then the places that you can get it from, it doesn't have to be all from one place.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great segue into your YouTube channel. So how did that come about? And, you know, so it sounds like that that was this outlet for being able to teach and share share things again when did that happen and how did it happen
1: so that happened in october oh when would it have been 2015 yeah something like that no 2014 yeah 2014 i think so it was when i was at zero And I saw my sister get started making YouTube videos and I thought it was really weird at first, to be honest. I was like, Mm. you're making videos of yourself and posting them on the internet for strangers to watch. And you're just talking to a camera. Why? That's weird. But then I started watching her videos and started watching other people's videos. And I was like, this is really cool. You get to see like a slice of life from someone else. And so I tried to find like, okay, where are the designers? I want to hear about like what they're doing at work that day. Like probably really boring for other people, but really interesting for me as a designer. And I couldn't really find that stuff. Most of the design videos on YouTube at the time were like tutorials, you know, just a screencast, clicking around in Photoshop, showing you how to make something. And I was like, yeah, that's not really the sort of stuff that I'm interested in. And so I thought, well, maybe this is like a gap and I could be that channel and try it out. And what actually prompted me to finally get started was I had this idea for a video to give advice to students for hand in week, you know, that week when all of your projects are due at once and like, you've got to manage this deadline versus this deadline and this got to go to print at this time. And it's a stressful week, you know, and I was hand in week was coming up and I was like, okay, it's kind of like now or never if I don't do this now, I've got to wait like another whole six months before I can like make this video useful. So let's just do it and get it out. And so I did Sat down and filmed an introduction video and filmed that video about hand-ins and put them live. I was reflecting back because I hadn't been out for that long. I think it was my second year out of university. And so I was remembering how hard that was to Uh, be in that position. Yeah.
0: (laughs) And um, that's cool. That's, that's, that's really nice. And so did you, um, Ever, I know that you've talked about this on your podcast—the imposter syndrome,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, you know, problem, where you, you know you, you feel intimidated that you know everyone's better than something than you. And so, did you? Did you? Was that kind of a, a struggle that you had around getting a YouTube channel going and getting that started and being an expert, like, put positioning yourself that hey, I'm an expert at this.
1: Totally. So for a long time, like, even though I said I started my channel because I wanted to talk about design in my work, when I first started, I was making videos about all different types of stuff. So I was talking about some design things, but I was also making fashion videos and DIY projects and, like, more what I would consider regular YouTube stuff that I'd seen other people making. Lifestyle. Yeah, lifestyle. There we go. That's the word. Partly to fit in, I think, partly because I did truly enjoy watching that stuff and I I was having fun creating it myself. But it took me several years to get up the confidence to commit to fully making design videos. And I think a lot of that was because of imposter syndrome. Like, if I'm putting myself out there every week making a video about design, then I'm technically saying, hey, I know stuff, you should listen to me. Uh, And that just doesn't come naturally to me. And I still feel... I I definitely still feel imposter syndrome sometimes, especially when these days when I post something about coding, that's a skill that I learned last year to code my own websites. And so whenever I talk about that in a video, there's always people commenting how I'm doing it wrong, basically, and like, oh, no, that's not the standard. This is the way you should be doing it now. And I'm just like, oh, I can't keep up. Um, So, yeah, it for sure is still a problem, but the positive comments and the positivity I've gotten out of making those videos, being a part of this community far outweighs that. And so it's like worth it for me to push through, you know?
0: Right. Yeah. Cause I, I mean, I, I definitely struggle with imposter syndrome myself constantly and it is what, you know, I'd love to hear what, you know, a few ideas, tips about overcoming that.
1: I don't know if I'm the best one to give tips for that because like I said, I still (laughs) struggle with it too, but I think, What helps me, especially when I'm thinking about putting out a video about a specific part of my process, and then I'm like, ooh, am I doing this right? Like, what if all of the other designers judge me? Like, I'm not so much worried about the people that I'm teaching. I'm more worried about people who are at my level Mm -hmm. or higher looking at me and, like, judging me because of it. But then I think, no, you know what? I work at this company. I've worked at several amazing tech companies and they hired me for a reason they liked my work like it was put out there to the world and they wouldn't have done that if they didn't think it was good like they're not going to put out a bad website just to save my feelings you know and so think like thinking objectively about my work really really helps me push through
0: even in coding you know people are jumping on your back and giving you grief about it but there are it's it is a a, a creative process. You you, yeah. you know, there's there's not always a right way to do things. And, the, you know, that's why people have these kind of debates and battles on how, you know, your technique. And, and so, and th- they're kind of like religious wars when it comes to coding sometimes. And I think in design, it's very, very similar, that there is no right way. And I think that, that that's always held me back, is that sense that I'm not doing it right. It's, you know, there's a right way. There's people out there who know how to do this better than me and who know, who know how to do it the right way. And throughout my entire life and throughout my entire career, I've discovered that's bullshit, that everyone's winging it, everyone's making it up, everyone's stumbling through. And, yeah, they might have more experience and expertise, but they still have kind of hacked something together, and mm-hmm. everyone's kind of hacking it to a certain extent. And that kind of has has given me some... You know, some some confidence about you know nobody's got it exactly right. Nobody does it perfect.
1: Yeah, you're right. And when I think about it, I think my design process changes a little bit with every project I take on because with every project you're learning something. And you know, like oh, this could have gone better if I'd maybe done this. So trying it out next time, you know. Mm. So yeah, there is no one right way.
0: Well, and also it is the other great thing about, and that's why I love teaching and I love mentoring is because you learn so much in that process and so it's Mm. when you actually you need to communicate this to an audience you double check and you triple check and you make sure that you're explaining it in the simplest possible terms and then so that refines your own process and your own understanding of what it is that you're trying to communicate and what you're teaching yeah and that I, i you know that's a huge like realizing yeah this is a learning process for me too yeah
1: and I think you also learn a lot about what you don't what you know that you don't realize that you didn't always know, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Like I put posted a video designing a landing page in Sketch just to show people kind of my workflow in Sketch, uh to create this one page. But I it wasn't a real project, so I didn't do what I normally do, which is like do one artboard, duplicate it, and like do the different idea, another idea, another idea, change this header space a little bit. I end up with like fifty artboards, you know. Yeah. But because I only did this one in this video, because I was just showing the workflow and like what tools I used, etc. I got so many comments from people being like, why would you even bother to do this? Like, wouldn't you just go straight to coding? And I was like, oh, no, that's not the design pro. Uh, okay, I'm going to need to make another video to clarify this.
0: Okay, so, yeah.
1: Yeah. I didn't, didn't realize that people thought that designers just made one page and then it got coded, like, that your first idea is the only thing you do yeah but yeah it needs explaining
0: I don't think that's ever happened no. <laughs> in my experience <laughs> um so so you you know with your YouTube channel, you have what is it a hundred thousand you just hit a hundred thousand yeah hit a hundred thousand subscribers. subscribers
1: the other day, which was really exciting when I first started that was it's like the. Epic. That was honestly, it was like the ultimate dream to get 100,000. And I still can't quite believe it's happened. Um, I don't think it'll sink in until I receive this thing that YouTube sends out when you hit 100,000, which is this plaque. It's like silver and has the play button on it and it says, Congrats for 100,000, Charlie Marie TV. Um, it should be arriving any day now in the mail. And I'm pretty excited for that to come. I think that's when real. it'll feel real.
0: <laughs> Congratulations. So Thank do, you. do do you. Do you does that generate revenue because of the volume of people? That, yeah. The traffic you get? yeah?
1: Um, so I turned ads off on my videos a couple years ago. Um, so I don't have the pre-roll and stuff advertising anymore. Thank you for anymore. that, by the way. <laughs> there you go. Um, <laughs> a lot of people think I'm nuts, but I, you know what it was, was that one day I was already feeling like, oh, maybe I should just be like giving stuff away totally for free so that people will, you know, appreciate that and be more invested when I actually have digital products or whatever later on. But there was an ad for one of those design competition sites playing before my videos that I noticed once, and I firmly do not
0: Mm. believe
1: in those. And, of course, my channel is the perfect audience for running those types of ads. And you can't, like...
0: Control that. Yeah. yeah.
1: I would have to turn off all design products being advertised if I wanted to go in and control, because you can, like, unselect different product groups from being advertised, and I was like, no, nope, this is not right. I want to only advertise products in my videos where I'm working with a company directly and I'm choosing that they're a good fit and that I firmly believe in them. Even though people know what ads are and mm. they know that I haven't chosen to put that there before my video, I think subconsciously it can like align in your mind with the creator. So yeah, um, I don't really earn revenue from ads. A little bit of res- residual stuff from old videos where I didn't turn the ads right. off, but mm. um yeah, I do brand sponsorships. I have a Patreon, which is like a monthly membership thing. Um, yeah, those are the main ways I guess, and sell products here and there. And Mm. I'm working on a course, which I hope will be like the main side project income generator. Yeah.
0: So that, I mean, what's really cool about, again, these side projects is that not only they're creative outlet for you, but they're also entrepreneurial endeavors. Yeah, that you know, liner note kids it was a business. It wasn't just yep. a hobby. Yeah, and and your YouTube channel as well, for sure. And so, so do you ever um, see yourself? I mean, what I can't wrap my head around is we haven't even gotten to the podcast yet, and <laughs> and your full time day job. So, how do you manage all this? Like, for me, that just seems absolutely overwhelming. And that you have so many creative projects that do need time and dedication mm-hmm. and quality. You know, I, everything you do has a really um, high degree of quality. So that takes a lot of time. How do, you, how do you fit it all in?
1: I think it's about being really selective with what you actually work on. Uh, so sometimes I look at my like YouTube peers, right? And I feel like I'm not doing as- enough And like, I'm not doing enough and not doing the same amount as them, but it's because that's what they do full time, you know? So I've got to give myself a break and realize that if I can get out one video a week, then that's great. Like check the box. You've done your YouTube job. Um, but yeah, I definitely struggle with it and I go through, I feel like seasons in life where I get super overwhelmed and I'm trying to do too much versus times where I feel like I've got my shit together, basically. Am I allowed to swear on this podcast? Yeah. (laughs) I just did. Yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah. But yeah, it's been, when I worked in an office, it was all about getting up early for me. So I would, at one stage, there was a few years where I was waking up at like five o'clock in the morning to get the side project stuff done before going into work for the day. And it's because I cared about it so much, right? Right. Like my options were do it at five o'clock or don't do it at all, pretty much, especially in London, because I was having an hour commute in the morning and then an hour commute back in the evening and I was exhausted by it's the end brutal, of the day. Yeah. yeah, so it was like that or nothing, pretty much. And I wanted them to exist, and I wanted to do well at them, so I did it.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. It actually reminds me. I used to do. So I'm not a morning person, and just <laughs> you saying you woke up at five a.m. just makes me want to cry. It, but, it does to
1: me now too. <laughs> like, now I'm like six thirty is my regular wake up time. Yeah, even that
0: <laughs> makes me want to cry. Um, and uh, the, but I used to do, you know side gigs um, and do them, you know, so I was up till midnight, 2 a.m. kind of yeah. thing. And the, the, and I love that. I, You know, the, I just got so much energy and excitement and, again, that creative outlet from just having another project, another thing that wasn't kind of the, the daily grind. Mm-hmm. Not that necessarily the work I was doing at the time was a daily grind, but it just gave me a different kind of um, yeah. material to work with and different people to work with, which was really... Really, um, rewarding.
1: And I think when it's a side project too, it's totally your own a lot of the time. Uh, this, so, these weren't
0: side projects, actually. These were side, like, you know, moonlighting kind of uh, cu- clients. So.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, even still like, you know, that was like running your own business, right? Yeah, Yeah. Totally. And so it's like, yeah, having full control over everything of how you work and, and all of that. I think it's pretty cool.
0: Yeah. yeah, it is. Um, so yeah, let's finally get to the podcast. <laughs> had that happened, when did that kick off
1: so that was about maybe three years ago i want to say ish um my friend Femke, who also went to massey she did like i think it was a design foundation something certificate or something like that it wasn't the full bachelor of design degree because she had done a marketing degree before that anyway going off on a tangent but we had been friends for a while um and we love both love design and love talking about design and, and, you know, things about design to each other. And we also love listening to podcasts. And we felt like maybe we wanted to create our own, but that neither of us really wanted to do it by ourselves because running a podcast is a lot of work. Mm. Uh, so we decided to create one together and we decided to talk about design and basically record these conversations. We were talking about these design topics like, oh, which design tool do you use? And like, why do you like it better than this one? And, you know, talking about imposter syndrome, talking about like how you deal with clients and yeah, getting advice from each other. So that's basically the premise is us sharing our thoughts on design. We're Mm. not trying to like say that we're the experts and, and talk, talk at people and tell them this is exactly what you should be doing. It's just us sharing where we're at. So some of the episodes where some of the episodes we do feel like we know a lot about this and like, here's some advice to help you out and others is like, Hey, I'm really struggling with this at the moment. And yeah, that's a lot of fun to to have.
0: Yeah, it's really. I mean, uh, I've listened to quite a few of them, and
1: oh, thanks. <laughs>
0: I I love the advice that you have and the insights, but also like the there is an element of therapy about it. Yeah, that it sounds like you guys are kind of. It's therapeutic to share what's happening with you and to you know pick each other's brains and and kick ideas off of each other and bounce them around just to see you know how you know, combined, you can kind of come to a, you know, new understanding. Yes. And the great thing about the podcast, it just covers, as you you kind of implied, everything that you could possibly think of to do with working in the creative design field, career advice, the design process, the the creative process, Mm. and getting stuck in imposter syndrome. And so there's just a wealth of, and as you say, there's no, it's not like here are the answers. It's more like... Hey we're processing and trying to figure this out ourselves and here are some things that we've discovered and here's some maybe some challenges that we're still you know struggling through and working through in terms of like the format of the show and the you know what's interesting to me about both the YouTube and the podcast work is that you know it's so it's media it's broadcast media mm-hmm. so yet yeah, you, you know you're the the kind of skills that you need to produce all that work is, is not standard design skills. You, you actually need to know about video technology, audio technology, um, editing both video and, and I, and I know these days it's, you know, much easier than it used to be way back when, but it's still, you know, a skill to it unto itself. And for me, like for instance, with audio, it's driving me bananas, like trying (laughs) to get the quality. And I, I, you know, I, I would have thought it's the simplest thing in the world, but for some reason, I don't know if it's like my kryptonite, I just can never seem to get the audio set up exactly right. And with all that that's going on, like there's a learning curve with all of that and for and sure. plus you're doing it, you know, with somebody who's remote and mm-hmm. you have to produce, you know, you have to come up with the content and the concept and so there's a whole production, not just the actual production of recording it. And editing it but also the pre-production the post-production and so is that giving you a lot of creative satisfaction that you know working with the media itself
1: do you know what it used to but not anymore i would say that these days i i enjoy the like i enjoy perhaps the recording yeah i definitely enjoy the recording of the podcast and sometimes the recording of the youtube video even though that can be really frustrating sometimes but What I enjoy more is getting it out there to people and getting their reaction in the conversation that it sparks. Um, I used to take a lot more joy in editing my YouTube videos, and now I feel like it's kind of a means to an end. Like, I've got to get this out so that I can get that satisfaction of hearing from people in the comments and, like, talking to people about this or, like, yeah. Um, That's the part I, I enjoy most, for sure. But I have also really enjoyed learning about all this stuff and having these skills. I think it's really... Cool to know things that aren 't just design software, you know mm. and um, it gives me a new appreciation for other people 's videos and other people 's podcasts, yeah, knowing absolutely. how how I make my own and how it 's not easy sometimes um, yeah for sure well, and
0: do, so do you find that you 're also applying a lot of that to your day jobs so you know at zero we, we, we were making videos all the time, and we were making and you know pretty complex and you know, hi, hiring Hollywood directors yeah. and Casting and, you know, crazy stuff like that. And so having these skills actually was a great and an experience with these tools was super powerful. And for your day job, do you have those same, do you get to apply your expertise in these working with media?
1: I try not to too much, to be honest, because uh, I need to be a designer. Like if I'm not working on design projects, then... I'm not happy, basically. And so if I'm spending all of my time at work, working on a podcast or YouTube videos, then that's going to be overload in that area and I'm not going to enjoy my side projects as much. So I try and keep it to a minimum, but I definitely do produce videos at ConvertKit. Um, Every company retreat we go on, because I don't think we've said yet, but we're a remote company. Most people are based in the US, but there's a few people in Europe, one guy in Thailand. Um, Twice a year we get together for these company retreats, spend a week together together, having strategy sessions, team bonding, and like, you know, planning the direction for the next six months basically. So I get everyone on the team to vlog, like film on their phones while we're there and I'm the one who edits them all together. Um, I've also created a few uh, Facebook ad, like videos for Facebook ads and also to go on our YouTube channel, like um, a couple of design tips for bloggers, Um, talking about vlogging actually uh, in one of them, like how to vlog, that sort of thing, sharing my expertise in that way.
0: And was that something that you decided you wanted to do or that they kind of hired you for and that was an expectation?
1: No, no, definitely wasn't hired for that. But I think that um, me knowing that was definitely made them more interested in hiring me, if Mm. you know what I mean. Um, But I'm, I'm always offering. Like I'm the one who wanted to do the vlog. I'm the one who wanted to make this video about design for bloggers, about vlogging. Um, cause they know, and I've been very open with them about it, that if I'm asked to do too much video work, then I'm not going to enjoy it on the side. And having my YouTube channel is really important to me, especially, you know, I've been going with it for so long. I haven't missed a single week of uploading in almost five wow. years. And so that's a streak that I don't want to break now, you know?
0: Yeah. We, we've we touched on a little bit. So the company you're working at is ConvertKit.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And so, as you mentioned, you're based in Europe. Your, you're, so you're in the UK Yep. Um and I I thought I didn't realize that the whole team was remote cuz I've heard you mention that Idaho that you keep going to Idaho which Yeah,
1: we do. Is like- that's where <laughs> our that's where our founder lives and right. that's where a few other team members live as well because you know they were in his network and Sure. Um yeah, we go for team retreats there once a year.
0: I just think it's, you know, I love this um time that we're living in where you're a kiwi working in Europe for a company that is somewhat based yeah. in, in the U.S. Yeah. or, yeah, is, is a U.S. company.
1: Totally. Um,
0: and so how did, you, how did you get over to Europe, and why, why did you go over to Europe?
1: I moved to London because I wanted that travel experience, like I wanted to be able to be more connected to the world, travel Europe. I just think it was something that I always knew that I'd want, I wanted to live overseas one mm-hmm. day. It was it – was no, there was no question about it for me. But I did have and this so, point yeah. uh, where I realized that it wasn't just going to happen. Like, if this was something that I really did want and that I knew was going to be part of my life, I, I couldn't just wait around for someone to, like, offer me a job in London. I had to be the one to organize that and make it happen and make the decision. So I'm really glad that I did. Um, moving to London has been one of the best things that I've ever done in my life, like the opportunities and things that I've had since I moved here and just feel, yeah, really at home.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Um, yeah, it's funny cause I feel the same way about New Zealand. It's the there best, you go. One of the best decisions i ever did. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so how has it been working remote? So, so the whole time you've been there, you've been working remote. Is that right? So you no, don't actually, you've never worked. Are you, so you have worked at a UK company?
1: Yes. Well, okay. Right. When I first moved over, I switched over to the London zero office.
0: Mm.
1: So I worked there for about six months, um, and then I moved over to a UK-based company. Ironically, mm. the founders were both Australian. So, yeah. you know, again, that global, it's a big world. Um, I worked there for about a year and a half. And then I was speaking at a conference one day with the founder of ConvertKit, Nathan Barry, and we went for lunch after and he kind of like offered me a job uh, mm. after that. So then I moved over to ConvertKit. So I've been there for a little bit over a year and a half now.
0: Right. And so how, how has it been working remotely?
1: Honestly, it has been the best choice for me. Like it oh. suits me so much to work remotely. The amount of stuff that I get done in a day, not being in an office with other people around is like, i it's insane. Um, I think that part of it is because I'm an introvert. And so I really like, am just happier when I have more alone time mm. when I'm not like, basically when I work in an office, I would be expending energy all day, not just on the work, but on being around people too. And so that was why I would end up so exhausted at the end of the day. So definitely a lot, like in general, more of a happier person now that I'm working remote. And I also love the lifestyle that it gives me that I can go over to my boyfriend's parents live in Spain I can go over to their house for a week. Not have to take vacation, just work from, you know, work from their porch on, on my design stuff for work and That's super exciting to me. Um, I think the reason that remote suits me so well is that ConvertKit is really good at remote. Like I said, we're a fully remote company, so no one is in an office together. Um, And that means that as a company, we've had to get really good at communication and at, yeah, making sure everyone who needs to is aware of this thing that's going on, having weekly team meetings where everyone gets on a video call together So I feel like I get a good dose of, like, hanging out with people, even if it's virtual most of the year. Um, And, yeah, still working on a team. There's very much still a team feel to it. We utilize Slack a lot for that and, yeah, talking to each other, mostly in my afternoon when it's America's morning. Um, But, yeah, working remote has worked out super great.
0: That's really cool. So with the stage of your career, so to speak, you know, where do you see it? Where do you see yourself now? And like, what have you learned? What do you currently, where do you think you're stretching yourself? Mm. um, You're challenging yourself and like, where's that heading?
1: Yeah. So there's, I think I think of two answers to this. Let's talk about them both, I guess. The first one is just like in my career in general, something that I want to do is more public speaking. Um, so I've been really, that was my focus for this year was to do speaking at events. And I've spoken at a couple of conferences, which has been awesome. But now a lot of the speaking that I get asked to do is about YouTube because that is the thing that people see. Um, and that's kind of like what I'm getting known for online. So I want to speak not at video and like YouTube conferences, but at design conferences. So that's my next focus is to like, um, yeah, be speaking in the design world and be able to... Helping people through that route. Uh and then another thing that I'm working on in my career is being more data driven. So I think I said at the start, the this mm. homepage test we're doing, this ABC. I want to get more into that with my designs and and better at doing the research as well and being better at uh user testing and understanding how my designs are functioning, not just going from the brief and if the stakeholders say it's right, then it's right, you know, but um yeah, doing more research behind it. I think is really gonna help me not only learn as a designer, but it'll be a great skill to have to be able to fully like back up my designs basically. Yeah.
0: So correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't didn't you do work on some of that with us at zero? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I would say so- that um it I was pretty passive in it, though, oh, in right. that it would be handed down to me or that we had, like, user testing people, right, who would, like, conduct the tests and I would watch them back. And it, I loved being able to learn from that. I think that's where this, you know, this idea came from. But I want to I want to get a bit more hands-on and understand that better because it's just, I don't know, my mind doesn't work well with data. I'm not a very data-minded mm. person. So that's definitely going to be a challenge. Um, right. But something else, like, kind of along those lines is uh, like being more analytically minded or whatever is improving my coding skills. Mm. So that's something that I had to learn when I joined ConvertKit is we didn't have a front end developer on the team to build my designs. So I needed to learn to build them myself. And that was something that I went in with the expectation, like knowing I would need to learn to code.
0: Right. And how's that Um, been?
1: It's been great. Yeah. Um, I can now fully, like, I'm really good at coding WordPress landing pages, basically. Using PHP to with custom fields and stuff. It's pretty exciting to be able to bring stuff to life like that. But All I've right. definitely learned what I'm not interested in coding as well. Like, I hate fixing bugs. Like, yeah. oh, this website is <laughs> just not working.
0: It's oh. a big part of coding, there. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately. Not a very fun part. Yeah. No. Um, so yeah, more of that back end stuff, like trying to get the functionality right, is just not as exciting to me as the front end and like trying things there. So the next thing that I want to do with my coding side of things is learn about animation, either with JavaScript or CSS, um, animating SVGs to add a little like interactions and touches to my to my web designs. That's mm. something that I want to learn next.
0: So actually that's a great segue to something that I think you and I kind of share an interest and a passion and kind of this emerging set of new tools which is figma and mm-hmm. webflow mm-hmm. and i've been using them quite a bit recently and absolutely loving it. it's actually given me a new found um excitement for being hands on the tools and one of the things for me has been that for you know i kind of stopped being hands on the tools for quite a long time mm-hmm. for years and years and so the You know, I had to teach myself Sketch because I'd come from like Photoshop and Flash and Illustrator and those kinds of tools, Adobe tools. Mm -hmm. And, and I didn't, I never loved Sketch. And like all of a sudden using Figma, and I don't know why, because it's not that radically different, (laughs) but something about Figma is I'm just absolutely head over heels in love with it. And even more so Webflow. Like I'm just, it's, and so, you know, you're talking about coding, but, you know, then with a tool like Webflow, in a way, not even that fun because it's fiddly stuff that you know has different browsers and different. It's not actually creative that creative. It's a it's a solved problem, yeah. And the the actual creative process is do what you can do with those technologies. And a tool like Webflow seems to be a really great way to actually be able to get an outcome, get output much faster and easier and more visually satisfying. And so are you, are you dabbling with that as well, doing animations in those kinds of tools?
1: I have not yet done animations in Webflow, but I'm really excited to get into that more as well. Like in just in general, thinking about animation and interaction more in my web designs, Mm. it's kind of been an afterthought for me, um, over the past few years, and I'm just starting to get into it being at the forefront. So for sure, excited about that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating for me because my, you know, my background has been for years, I've been doing a lot of that in Flash, same Mm. stuff. So coding in Flash to do animations and, you know, Flash is long dead (laughs) and having to relearn that, but a tool like Webflow makes it really fun again.
1: Yeah, for sure. I I love Webflow and I think with both Webflow and Figma, it's the team as well, uh, the company itself that makes me excited to use the tools. There's super great people.
0: Mm. So, I mean, these seem like kind of short term goals or near term goals about, you know, learning new techniques and new tools yeah. and new um, skills. But in terms of career direction, do you have any kind of uh, ambitions or dreams about, or just a vision, just kind of a, you know, you kind of talked about you want to be based in London, that that was one of these. Personal goals, and so do you. And I'm interested in any like where your personal goals overlap with your career goals. And and you know, I get the sense that like you you have a very entrepreneurial streak. Do you see yourself starting something or being a founder of something at some point?
1: Ooh, this is a good question. So I find it really hard to think that far into the future in terms of exactly what I want to be doing um, career wise, but and it's interesting you said career goals versus personal goals, because to me, they're kind of the same. Yeah. Like um, when I think about what I want from my career, I'm thinking about the life that I want to be living. Um, and so like right now, I feel like I am living out what I like a few years ago was thinking as the next stage of my career, which was having more control over my time and like that freedom. I thought that I would have to get that by going freelance. And so I was trying to start up slowly building freelance clients and that sort of thing. But To be honest, I hated freelance. Like, I just don't enjoy freelance work. Um, So that's why I was really excited to learn about remote work and that that's a possibility because I feel like I have all the freedom of freelance right now but also the security of a full-time job and, like, the team feeling as well, which I love.
0: Team feeling and no clients. (laughs)
1: Yes, it's perfect. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I feel like I'm kind of, at the moment, finding it hard to think too much far ahead because I'm just loving the stage that I'm in. But um, my ultimate design idol and, like, the person, you know, the kind of stuff that I would love to be doing is Jessica Heesh. So she's a lettering artist. So when I say that, I don't mean that I want to be a letterer. But um, I just think that I see her as someone who does a lot of really cool stuff. And that's what I would love for people to see me as. Um, Like, she creates these projects. She's, like, got this new font coming out. It's, like, a new digital product. She's worked on um, you know this cool thing that she can share and then uh, give advice to people based on what she learned doing it. She speaks at a lot of conferences and things. So I feel like I'm, I'm trying to like, yeah, live that kind of career where it's not one thing that I'm doing. It's a bunch of stuff that all comes together um, and that I'm always making cool things. At this stage, I can't imagine going full-time with my side hustle stuff because like I said, I hate freelance work. And I always want to be designing. Um, and so, I don't know, maybe in the future I'll get to love freelance work again, who knows, and be able to get my design feel there. But if I went with what I do in my side hustles full-time, there wouldn't be enough um, like super smart design work going on for me. So I'm really enjoying being part of ConvertKit um, and feeling like I'm one of the... like. Even though when I joined, there was like already 20 people or something, so I'm not even one of the originals, as you say, but um, recently we all got given equity in the company mm. and um, that just makes me feel even more excited to be a part of it and feel like I'm a part of this really cool thing. So I'm excited to see what comes out of that. I could see myself um, in the future founding my own thing for sure. Um, maybe not by myself. Uh, I would definitely want to have like a co-founder. Sure. But but yeah, I, I could definitely see that happening in the future. But we're talking like, yeah, we're doing like five, ten years out there.
0: Yeah, no rush.
1: Yeah, no so, rush. That's the thing. <laughs>
0: uh, oh, you, you know, you've said now a few times about, you, you know, your passion for design. And I'd love to hear what it is in particular that, you're, you know, that you love so much.
1: I think for me it is, well, it's definitely web design in particular. When I talk about loving design, it's loving web design. I don't think I get the same fulfillment out of any other um, type of design as I do designing websites. Um, but I love that I start with, especially in-house, not a clear brief, it's not all written out like you get in university, you know, here is the objectives and, and all of this, this is the deliverables that you need to give. Um, a lot of the time it's me talking to people, figuring out what we need, like just getting over that step first and then being able to look back at the end and thinking, hey, from that conversation and from this problem that this person was talking about, like, I don't know, the sales team is finding it really hard to get across to people that this is one of our benefits over a competition or whatever. And then now I've designed this landing page that expresses that and that then one step further, we can also see people using, we can see people signing up on, so we know it's working. I find that really exciting. So I like being involved in the whole design process, basically from the very start to the very end. I just find that really exciting.
0: Yeah. And, and, but it's really great to hear you the emphasis on the impact of your work, yeah. that it's not just the kind of the aesthetic of it and the the creative process, but it's for, for you, the satisfaction really is the impact of the work you do.
1: Yeah, for sure. And don't get me wrong. I like making things that look good too,
0: sure. but
1: I think that's always the fun part of the challenge for me is proving to people that you can have something that looks amazing and it also solves a problem. And it also has this impact. Like, when you strike that, I'm like, yes, see, designed for the win.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> hey, awesome. Thank you so much. It's really fun to see all the work that you're doing. And, and it's, in some ways, it's hard keeping up with everything that you're doing. because <laughs> I feel <laughs> the
1: same way, and I'm the one living my life. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, it's, it's a, an absolute pleasure um, chatting and, and talking to you again. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah, you too, Phil.
0: All right. That was Charlie Prangley. She's incredible, right? So inspiring. There's a ton of great advice in there for students and industry vets alike. I definitely hope you listen to her podcast and check out her YouTube channel. Links to both of those are in the show notes. You can find the show notes along with info about our other guests and other episodes at alchemypodcasts.com. That's alchemypodcasts, with an S at the end.com. Plus, we're also on Twitter at alchemypodcasts. As always, we'd love to get any comments, questions, suggestions. Just go to the website to share your thoughts with us. Thanks for listening. Cheers.